After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried aloud in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they, and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. Then he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Well, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Madush. It's uh, really lovely to have you all here. Uh, I'm one of the pastors at Trinity Church, um, and especially if you're a visitor today, it's really lovely to have you. Um, I'm glad you're here. We've been working our way as a church through the book of Revelation, the very last book in the Bible. And maybe like me, when I first came across it, uh, it leaves you a little puzzled, uh, or you're slightly put off by the really strange imagery, but also a little intrigued. Uh, the helpful thing to remember when we come to the book of Revelation is that it's written for suffering churches that are under attack, to give them comfort and strength. Now, there are Bibles in the pews in front of you. If you haven't got them open, please will you take them up and open them uh, to page 1,237. We're going to consider what God reveals when seven seals on a pretty special scroll are opened page 1,237, Revelation chapter 6. Well, I'm going to pray for us as we come to that. Oh God, we are reminded that you are the ruler of every square inch of this universe. Jesus is the victorious king. But our lives in this broken world are hard and painful. Help us to make sense of that and to know the safety of those who have run to Jesus. Amen. Well, you may not have read Chris Gardner's biography, but perhaps you've uh, come across the movie that's based on it, The Pursuit of Happiness. Now, spoiler alert, by the end of it, Chris Gardner makes it. He gets a job at a prestigious Wall Street firm. 
And then he goes on to establish his own multi-million dollar brokerage firm. From our perspective, as we look back on his life, he's a winner. He's got it all. But the story, his biography, is about his struggle to get there. His life is just one failure, one soul-crushing defeat after another. After his marriage breaks down, he's left raising his five-year-old son on his own. He has unpaid parking fines. The tax man is chasing him for unpaid taxes. He can't pay the rent, and so they get evicted. At one of the lowest points in his life, they're so desperate that they spend the night in the restroom of a train station. That's a scene that's playing in the background. There's something really relatable about those low, low points. The pain, the struggle. The man is, is just broken. He's brought to tears as he's there with a son not being able to put him to bed in a bed. It's a really heart-wrenching story of, of courage, of tenacity, of perseverance. But what I think it captures really well is the struggle of our lives in a broken world, in a sin-torn world. It doesn't matter who you are. Suffering will stalk you. It will get you. It matters very little how well off you are. The effects of a world that are t twisted out of shape by sin reach into every one of our lives. Now, the sad thing is that even if you're a Christian here today, you're not spared. It's no different. Suffering will get you. In fact, what Revelation shows us is that on top of the normal hardship that people experience, you will be attacked if you hold to Jesus and talk about him. Now, in chapters 4 and 5, we witness God seated on his throne in all of his glory. The takeaway from that was that God rules, and Jesus wins. He is the victorious king of God's everlasting kingdom. And so the church, God's people, who are under attack, can keep going. Because we see the reality, we know who is in control. The rest of Revelation, the whole book, simply gives us an, a bird's eye view of God's rule. Now, I'm not an artist, but I think it's a bit like painting a canvas. You do it in layers. You know, you paint one layer, then you come back to it, and you do it again and again and again. Each layer shows you the entire picture. When that first layer goes down, you can kind of see what's going to be painted. But as you add each layer, it refines the detail, makes the picture clearer. It adds texture and depth. It brings out contrasts and so on. That's what the book of Revelation is doing. Uh, we're seeing layer after layer that is building a picture so that we really get our heads around what it looks like for God to rule over human history. 
The first layer on the canvas is what we're seeing today, the opening of these seven seals. And now you have to remember from chapter 5 that Jesus, the conquering king, is victorious because he is the lamb who was killed to redeem people for God. That's why he alone is worthy to open the scroll and to reveal God's rule, to show that God is going to judge everything bad in this world and remove it. Yet at the same time, he will protect his people. So we get to chapter 6, chapter 6, verse 1, and there he is opening the scrolls one by one. And each of the, as each of the first of the four seals are opened, what we see is a horseman riding out. Now this is where that classic picture of the four horsemen of the apocalypse comes from. Now we see that and we think automatically, well, this must be the end of history. But remember what we're seeing. God is showing us his present rule. What we're seeing is life during this age, at this time. At the time between Jesus' death and resurrection and the time when he will return in all of his glory. Now, there are a few things I want you to notice about these first four seals. God is completely in control. He's the one who sends out each of the horsemen. He's the one who gives them permission to cause harm. The destruction that they inflict is God's judgment against sin in our present experience. It shows us that this world is not the way it's meant to be. Something's wrong. It's just not right. Now, what we experience is quite brutal. God's judgment is poured out and the conquest, the, the war, the famine, the death that is just the sad normal of everyday life. But God is also merciful. The destruction he allows is limited. Now take a look at verse 8. Chapter 6, verse 8, on page 1,237. The second half of the verse. They, the horsemen, were given power, but only over a quarter of the earth. To kill with sword and famine and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. You see, as God's judgment falls during this age, as we, as we see that the world is not quite like it should be, we also see God's mercy. He, he's holding back. So what must we take away from this? Well, it's important for us to realize the kind of world that we live in. That we live in a world that is broken by sin. And we live in a world that is under God's judgment, even though it is a limited judgment in the present. And that should set our expectations. That should give you a good sense of what life is going to be like. Now, when the fifth seal is broken, the attention shifts from the world and humanity in general to particularly God's people. What is it like for us who follow Jesus in the present. Take a look at verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain 
because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. And do you see the thing that characterizes God's people? It's their commitment to Jesus. Because we love him, we obey his words. And we cannot help but tell other people how wonderful he is. That's what marks Christians out. The hard pill to swallow is that we are not shielded from suffering, even though we are God's people. In fact, precisely because we are God's people, because we hold on to his word, because we bear witness about him, we are attacked even to the point of death. Now, could God intervene? Could he protect us from the suffering that's just a normal consequence of life in a broken world? Of course he could. Could God intervene and spare the lives of those who are faithful to him? Of course he could. But he doesn't. And that is why Christians here cry out, How long, O Lord? How much longer must this go on? Why? Why is this happening to me? I mean, you know this. When you have a child who has a chronic illness and you're helpless to do anything about it, when your elderly parents are in so much pain they can't even sleep and you can't get them the care that they need, when your finances are stretched, you're battling just to pay the bills, when your marriage is breaking down in front of your eyes, when you hear of Christians who can't get work because of the testimony they maintain, when their homes and their places of work are burnt down because of their Christian witness, we cry, why, God? Why is this happening? How long, how long before you step in and do something about it? Take a look at verse 10. God's people, the faithful, the ones who have been killed, call out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? When will we see justice? Well, God responds. He says, look, here's a white robe. You are safe in the ways that truly matter. And then he says, wait, wait a little longer. I'm not done rescuing people. There's still a job to do. That's why you're there. The point here is that God knows, and he cares. It's, it's right for us to express our pain, our, our frustration. It's right for us to long for justice in a world like this. But we entrust that justice to God. We are confident that God is good, and he'll do what is fair. So don't be surprised when you hear news of war, of famine, of disease. Don't be surprised when Christians suffer. 
sometimes more than other people. Even in the midst of that, God rules. And so he's saying to us, cry to him. Cry to him, pour out your heart to him. And then wait. Wait until he acts for us. Well, if you turn over the page in your Bibles, you will get to the sixth seal in verse 12. And when that sixth seal is opened, we see God's response to those cries. We see God's final judgment poured out on a rebellious world. You see, these are images from the Old Testament and from the Gospels that show us how serious, how inescapable God's judgment will be. There is absolutely no one who is spared. From slave to king, everyone is terrified when they're faced with God's righteous anger against sin. Now take a look at verse 16. This is what people say. They cry out to the mountains, fall on us. Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. The time for justice is here, and it is terrifying. The question it prompts is who can stand? Verse 17, the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? What do you do in the face of a God who is angry against sin and pouring out his judgment? Well, that judgment is carried out, it's completed when the seventh seal is broken. But that's only at the beginning of chapter 8. Before that, there's a whole chapter, chapter 7, that answers this question. Who can stand in the face of God's judgment? Well, it turns out that there are a great many who can stand, a whole multitude. You see, the, the wind is suddenly held back by four angels as if they're at the corners of the world, holding it back. God is restraining his judgment until his servants have been sealed, until they've been marked out and protected from what will come. There's a really big number of them, 144,000. Now that number simply represents the full count of God's people. Look at the way they're described in chapter 7, verse 9. They are a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. It's that picture we had in the last couple of chapters. Uh, just as in chapter 4, they are wearing white robes, and they are praising the God who rules for his salvation. He has intervened. Now, what do those robes represent? Take a look at verse 14. Those in white robes are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The great tribulation, the trial that they have endured, is the opposition they have faced for holding on to Jesus, for holding on to his words and for being witnesses of him. That's what we saw in chapter 6, verse 9. 
the souls under the altar crying out how long it's the same reason that John who writes this book is in prison in chapter 1 on the island of Patmos see Jesus is worthy because he won the victory through his death as the Lamb of God but that lamb is a substitute he stands in the place of those who deserve God's judgment the lamb bears God's wrath his righteous anger his just punishment in the place of sinners who will turn independence to him there they we if we have turned to Jesus in this way are cleansed we are purified the guilt of our sin the condemnation of our sin is taken away and instead we are clothed with the goodness and the righteousness of Jesus himself that's what the white robes represent forgiveness restoration cleansing now at face value that is a really gruesome picture can you imagine that uh, people being bathed in the warm sticky blood of a slaughtered animal it's pretty disgusting it creeps me out but it is a death it's an expression of need and trust that purifies and so it is a it is a really beautiful image of a God who loves his people to the uttermost his beloved washes in the blood of the lamb and becomes clean dressed in white it's not a stunning image people sometimes think of becoming a Christian as escaping the worst of this world but also missing out on the best of this world we don't want to experience the suffering and hardship of a world that's affected by sin of a world that's under judgment but we also don't really want to turn from our sinful self-rule we enjoy sinning just not all the consequences of our sin if turning to Jesus means that I'll avoid some of the consequences then I may go along with it but I'll do it grudgingly and I'll be very sad about it I'll regret all the pleasures that I have to give up maybe you've recently been on holiday you're back from a stunning location and a week of leisurely carefree living maybe you've just gotten married or you've entered a romantic relationship that you have been yearning for maybe you've just got a promotion or a new job and with it the promise of greater satisfaction or reward maybe you've just booked that special experience that you've been saving up for or maybe it's as simple as buying a new pair of shoes or getting a new device this week and for Chris Gardner happiness 
was finding financial stability, being able to raise his son. You see, all those things that make us feel alive, that make us feel safe, they are a fleeting taste of the treasures that we have in Christ. The rest, the peace, the intimacy, the security and comfort, the enjoyment that we are pursuing, it's found here in the presence of the living God. Take a look with me. Verse 15 of chapter 7. Uh, They, God's people, the ones who are faithful, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, verse 15, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. Now, that's not disembodied harp playing. That is living life to its fullest in the presence of the one who satisfies. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. We are safe in an ultimate sense precisely because we're in the presence of God. Verse 16, never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun won't be down on them nor any scorching heat. There's no more suffering. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. That's what we're chasing. That's what we desire in the deepest recesses of our hearts. You see, coming to Jesus is not about escaping the worst of this world while you miss out on the best. It's joyfully enduring hard things now for even better things later. We gain the deepest, most satisfying treasure in God himself. This is what we want, nothing less. God's people cry out for justice in a world that is broken by sin. And God responds. He says, I'll act. I will judge at the end of the age. But who can stand in the day of his wrath? Who can stand? Well, here it is. Those whom he has sealed, those who have washed in the blood of the Lamb, they can stand. We can stand if that is us. They and we will inherit God's renewed creation we will inherit the promise of living in the presence of God. And so that first layer of the canvas is completed. We get to the beginning of chapter 8, and the seventh seal is opened. There is silence in heaven. It's, it's like a dramatic pause. God's people cried out, chapter 6, verse 10, How long, O Lord? Well, God hears and he acts. He marks those who belong to him so that they are secure. And then he judges all that is evil. He completely removes the stain from his creation. I take a look at chapter 8, verse 3. There's an angel there who's carrying a container in which incense is burnt. Uh, The incense represents the prayers of God's people. 
Remember their cry, how long, O Lord? A cry for justice. And in verse 3, he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. And then we see God acting. Verse 5. The angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. It's staggering. There's this a terrible picture of thunder and lightning and earthquake as God's judgment is completed. God's people finally get the justice that they're after. Have you ever thought about your prayers like that? That they go up into the presence of God and he hears them and they move him to act and they have that sort of an effect? Thunder and lightning and earthquake? That is the God we serve and that is the love he has for his people. No more will we cry, how long? Because as we read in chapter 7, the lamb at the center of the throne will be our shepherd. He will lead us to springs of living water. So how should we live? What difference does that make to us? Well, we realize that suffering is normal in a sin-torn world. And if you're a Christian, you are not spared. The world is under judgment, and a final day is coming when God's wrath will be poured out. God could pluck us out of the mess right now, but he doesn't. He doesn't because he has a purpose, and we have a job to do. God is not done rescuing people, and in his wisdom, he uses weak people like us to do it. And that's what our task is, that's what our call is, to hold firmly onto God's word, to live in light of it, to live as his people under his rule, and as we hold on to his word, to preach Jesus, to point people to the wonder and the hope that is our King. Even if we face injustice now, even if we suffer even more, even if we miss out on those things that we long to have right now, God says, keep going. You are perfectly safe. There is nothing that can shake the security you have with me. Because you have washed in the blood of the Lamb, you are dressed in white robes, and you have his seal of protection. And can I just say, if that is not you this afternoon, will you see that the only answer, the only response to the pain and suffering of this broken world that we live in is to shelter under Jesus? There is nothing else. There is nowhere else to go. There is no other hope. Will you hear his call and run to him? He satisfies, and he satisfies like nothing else ever can.
Well, please join me as I pray to God and ask him to do that for us. Oh God, our shelter, our shepherd, will you strengthen us to know the security of those who have washed themselves in the blood of the Lamb. Give us courage, we pray, in the face of suffering and injustice to preach Jesus and to love the people around us. Amen.